Hello. Hello, I'm Georgia. And I'm John. And today we're going to talk about the mac and cheese and movies. Mmm. Comfort Films Podcast. Season 2. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 68 of the Comfort Films Podcast. This week we're going to be talking about Slumdog Millionaire. Now, Slumdog Millionaire was released in the United States on December 25th, 2008. And Slumdog Millionaire is actually based on a novel called Q&A by Vikas Swaroop. And in addition to being an author, Swaroop was also the former Foreign Secretary of India. Slumdog Millionaire screenwriter Simon Bofoy made three research trips to India and interviewed street children to ensure that the film had authenticity. Now, director Danny Boyle did face a share of challenges while shooting because locations that were scouted would change from one day to the next. One day there would be a wall where there wasn't, another day a building. So in keeping with the spirit of the film, Boyle trusted that everything would come together and kept a motto of give it faith and it will come back and reward you. Now, the principal photography commenced using solely traditional film cameras, but Boyle did not like the look or the constraints on camera movement. So he and cinematographer Anthony Dodd-Mantle decided on using a mix of digital and film cameras for Slumdog Millionaire. The small stabilized handheld cameras were the latest in digital technology, and could easily get around and put the audience right in the center of the action at a moment's notice. Slumdog Millionaire went on to win eight Academy Awards, including Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Sound Mixing, Best Director, Best Picture, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound Editing. Now, to discuss Slumdog Millionaire with us today, we have our very close friend, Wayne Cardwell, uh, he is coming to us from Massachusetts. We've known him for many years. We used to do sales together. And then we also made a movie together. Uh, he was one of our leads in the award-winning short called The Clock. And let's welcome Wayne Cardwell. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And as usual, when we have a guest on, we have them suggest their favorite comfort films. So Slumdog Millionaire is Wayne's pick. And I'm glad because we haven't done a Danny Boyle movie. No. Nope. We haven't done an, a Best Picture movie. No. Which is crazy. No, because we've talked about a bunch. We're about to do several, but we haven't. <laughs> we This is our first one. Yeah. And yeah, it's just such a good movie. And I haven't watched it in a long time. So I'm super psyched to get in on this one. Um, So Wayne, uh, our first question always is what makes... Slumdog Millionaire, a comfort film for you? Well, I think for me, it, it's one of those films that makes you comfortably uncomfortable, right? So you can kind of pick it up from anywhere and 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 understand the story and see where they are and, and still feel like you're starting from the beginning, even when you're not. So there's so many different scenarios in it and so many different uh, places that it takes you as far as the story itself and how it's being told that it's just one of those things for me that I can watch from any point. That's great. Yeah. I do think it has that because it has like the different parts of Jamal's life. And because it's kind of set up around the idea of this, who wants to be a millionaire quiz show. Um, it's kind of episodic because you have like the question comes up and then you see how he knows the answer to the question. So it is almost kind of like these little mini episodes that all come together to make this overarching story of love 
you know, this is part of our love month again. This is the conclusion of our love month. Yes, it's the last movie of our love month. And it's kind of a fun choice because this isn't like your traditional romance movie. No. Like there's a lot of criminal stuff going on in it as well. Which, spoiler alert, makes it a great transition film to our next series, which will be a crime month. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of combining love and crime this week. So, I mean, you know, talking about, you know, the game show theme, this is the Indian version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. At the very beginning of the film, it comes up, you know, it's uh, Mumbai, it's 2006, Mm -hmm. and we see Jamal being interrogated by the guard, the adult Jamal. And, you know, he's being intimidated by the guard. He's blowing smoke in his face. And then we have the question come up on the screen. Okay. It says, Jamal Malik is one question away from winning 20 million rupees. How did he do it? A, he cheated. B, he's lucky. C, he's a genius. D, it is written. (laughs) And it's just like in the style of the script, which is so great, you know, it wraps around and we actually get that answer. Yes. At the end of the film. I love that. And I mean, that's kind of the theme of the movie too. I think, well, for me, is that, you know, fate steps in here. And that's, that's why I feel like this is comforting movie even though like wayne said it's got a lot of uncomfortable moments for sure i mean this this character of jamal and uh latika his love interest have a lot of challenges from the time they're children up until like the end of the movie when everything works out but it's like fate is giving jamal a hand finally um in this game show and he just keeps answering these questions even though you know, this is a person who hasn't had access to education. This is a guy who shouldn't know these answers. And that's why, you know, Prem <laughs> kind of turns him into the cops. Yeah. And Irfan Khan plays uh, one of the cops who is a great, great Indian actor. And he's so good in this. Uh, and, you know, they just don't understand how is it possible that this Chaiwala is like not educated poor comes from the slums is able to know all of these things and it's just because the questions perfectly match his life experience and it's all just so faded you know i love that yeah it's a great great structure it's a great structure i mean and then of course it is written you know we get (laughs) the end and i mean yeah i i completely feel that i mean we understand everything i would say about salim and jamal from that scene at the bathroom at the very beginning of the film. I feel that that really gives us everything that we need to know about those two characters. And it really sets oh, us yeah. on our way. That's a great scene. Right. <laughs> so memorable. <laughs> I mean, you know, these kids live in this horrible slum and, you know, they pretty much just have to make money however they can. Mm-hmm. So I guess Salim kind of has this business running like a, a, a toilet like a public toilet and he lets people use the bathroom and jamal happens to be using the bathroom and it's taken him a long time because it's shy i think he says (laughs) and you know they lose a customer so salim is so po'd as he always is around money that he locks jamal in there and jamal is so upset because they're next to this landing strip for planes i guess where all where this bollywood actor amitabh bachan is coming and 
that's his favorite actor. He has this picture. He's going to get it autographed. And then he's locked in the toilet. <laughs> so the only thing he could do is drop down into the literal just shit and then escape. <laughs> and he does this. And then he comes running through the crowd covered head to toe in disgusting poop, waving his photo and Amitabh Bakchan signs it so it's pretty amazing it's great because you, you see salim he kind of looks at him with this mixture of just awe and jealousy yeah he just he can't stand them and, and a really fun fact is the poop is actually peanut butter and chocolate yeah. <laughs> so much better than actual poop yeah it's but it's i mean the story doesn't end there yeah. Because, you know, Jamal does win that he gets the autograph, but Salim goes and sells the autograph for money. So it, it's just, there's this cycle of jealousy. And when we look at Salim from the beginning, we see that the most important value to him is money. There is nothing more important to him than money. And he's also very jealous of his brother, Jamal, who is a winner, who literally will go through the shit, literally, <laughs> and he will still win the day. And I mean, how many people could do that? If I was covered head to toe in shit, I don't even think I could order an Egg McMuffin. <laughs> you wouldn't want to You'd be eating shit. <laughs> yeah, just kind of drop on the Egg <laughs> McMuffin. But yeah, it would be it would be weird. But, you know, it's like we have this thing that he knows that his brother, Salim, knows that Jamal is a winner. And I think Salim knows on the inside that he is really not fated to be a winner and he no. hates him for it. But no matter what obstacles he puts in Jamal's path, Jamal still wins. And that's what we see throughout the film. So many people put so many obstacles in his path. Yeah, well, that's the thing with Jamal that I would say, like, yes, it's fated that he's winning this game show, but he is not a lucky person. Like, he's he's not had a lot of luck, but his determination and his drive and kind of his single-minded focus a lot of times um, kind of makes up for his circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, just with the sales background Wayne and I have had, I would definitely sell tickets to a shit house. Would you? <laughs> I absolutely would if I had to. Sure. If that was my, my only means of, of making any sort of money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we see what these kids have to go through. I mean, there's time and time again, they're doing like these petty crimes <laughs> because they have to, to live. And, you know, that's a, that's something that I really find tough about this movie because i haven't seen it in a long time and i don't think i remembered like how hard it is um for these kids because they are living in this really slum place with terrible terrible situation they have no money they're living in like literal garbage you know the population where they are is huge so there's a lot of garbage generated and and it's just sad. Like, the kids are dirty. And these are, like, real real kids from the slums, too, yep. who were the actors. And I have to say, like, I was unbelievably impressed with how great they were. Um, and part of that is, I mean, Danny Boyle couldn't speak with them directly either because they didn't necessarily speak English and he didn't speak uh, Hindi. So... He had a co-director, Loveline Tondon, who was helping him with that. And uh, we saw, like, some of that interaction and some of the behind-the-scenes material. Um, but the kids, and, you know, Danny Boyle is, like, kind of miming what he wants, you know, the little, the young actor to do <laughs> sometimes. And 
it worked because I really bought it. And the kids are very charming. Like, they're very good at, at acting, even though they're just regular kids. Those scenes at the beginning when you, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing the boys interact and, and the things that they're going through and you're getting that sense of, you know, that older brother, younger brother rivalry kind of thing. And you know the, the struggles that they've had to go through. That's why it's so sad when he sells the autograph picture because you know how much it means to him, how little he actually has. And, you know, Salim goes and sells it and, and gives him the tip of the cap to, to the guy who he sells it to. And, you know, <laughs> Jamal's over here getting hosed off because he had to literally jump through to, to, to get it. So, you know, it, it's super sad to see that. Even in that one moment, you realize right away, wow, you can tell, like, where that's going. Yeah. It's really funny that you picked this also because it has, like, the same brother dynamic of Call the Clock. Yes. <laughs> So I was thinking about that too. So Call the Clock is the movie that John did when he was in film school. With you and Wayne. Yes, yeah. I know, but like, you know, mostly you, you're the director. And uh it had like a story of two brothers and one of them was like the money brother and one of them was like the the kind of just solid brother and that was Wayne. And so they kind of had this dynamic where the one brother is always just trying to get cash and get rich quick kind of schemes and uh, kind of doesn't really mind selling his brother down the river or whatever in order to get what he wants. So I thought that was really interesting that you were in that movie. So maybe you like this also because you kind of relate to Jamal. <laughs> yeah, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh I'm still. I was still waiting for my uh, nomination of best supporting actor in a noir film. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, there's definitely that that tie into it, and you see that that brotherly relationship, and it goes throughout the entire film, and it doesn't really sway. It's all. It's always the same, regardless of their age or what situation they're in. You you kind of have that same, and you're hoping that it changes, and you're hoping and hoping, um, and, and and pretty much throughout, you get the same type of relationship with them. Yeah, because Salim just is who he is, and. That's kind of spoiler alert what happened in Call the Clock also, <laughs> you know. Yep. Uh, I think that Salim kind of finally found that he couldn't dig himself out of what he had dug himself into. And his only chance at, you know, redemption of any type was sacrifice um, to, to help Latika get back to Jamal. Um, it's like he finally did this one selfless act in order to do that, you know, and he took down Java at the same time. So that's good. But yeah. I also like that he was in a bathtub full of money. While he did. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I may be letting myself be killed, but I'll be immersed in my one love <laughs> while I do it. <laughs> it's, I mean, that's true. And it's, what's interesting is, you know, when I was watching it, we actually see in the first few minutes of the film, you know, we see the money being spread out in the tub, but we don't know what that is yet. You know, the audience has no idea what that is. And we also have that point of view shot of Latika at the train station, you know, where she's out there in the sunlight. And it's this this beautiful moment, you know, and, you know, Jamal remembers that. That's like the perfect memory in, in his mind. And it's like these are the things that have been pushing the story forward. You know, yeah. it's it's these two characters and really it's his love for Latika that makes th this movie happen. He will do anything for her. 
Yeah. I mean, literally, there's one point where he sees an opera and it looks like the opera is set in hell. And he's like, okay, I need to go back to the underworld to try and find her. You know, and, and it's like, it's just, again, it's against all odds. I mean, my favorite part in the film is when he finally, you know, the adult Jamal meets up with the adult Latika. And, you know, it's like, he goes, I love you. And she goes, so what? <laughs> you know, and it's just like, holy shit. Like, you understand. Like, it's not that she doesn't love him. You know they love each other. Well, she shows up at the station. Yeah. Know? But, I mean, you know, she's more realistic than him. Like, throughout the whole thing, even though Jamal goes through horrible, hellish things, he still has, like, this kind of romantic outlook on life, in a way. Sure. Um, you know, and, and he is continually disappointed because of that. He kind of sets himself up for failure a lot by, you know, having this expectation that things are going to work out. And it kind of goes back to this Three Musketeers thing, I guess, in a way. Um, I guess Three Musketeers, even though it's an adventure novel, it's also what I would term like a romance because it has like, you know, heroes and swashbuckling and all this kind of stuff. So... It's like this heroic story. He and Salim kind of look at themselves as two of the three musketeers and they, you know, kind of base their life. He's based his life around that. And he thinks about honor and dignity and loyalty and all this. Salim, I don't know why he, I think he's just using it as a way to tie Jamal to him. Yes. Um, he doesn't care so much about, you know, honor, clearly. Um, but that's what Jamal cares about. And then when they find Latika and she's, you know, this little abandoned child in the rain, he, you know, Jamal wants to bring her in and keep her safe and make her part of their three musketeer team. Um, but Salim is not here for it. Like he doesn't want three, you know, <laughs> for him, it's never been about that. But for Jamal, it is about like kind of making a family went out of nothing well salim even says we don't even know the name of the third musketeer yeah you know yeah. and then that of course comes back on the game show so it, it's everything loops around and i mean the character of salim there's so much there that we don't see you know he has the this sadness and he also feels that since he is the elder brother even though that he doesn't have any idea what to do that he needs to be the man. He needs to be the one taking charge. And I I don't think he wants that. And I think that's evidenced by his behavior, you know, because he goes over to these crime lords on two separate occasions. And it, it's because I think he wants to have someone that's driving the bus. He wants to be like a right-hand man. He wants to be an instrument. You know, he doesn't want to have to have all of these emotions. He just tries to bury himself in these hedonistic pleasures. So he doesn't have to think, I mean, you know, Salim has, has so much emotional uh, uh, baggage. Yeah. Well, he's made himself tough. Yeah. So he doesn't have to feel, I mean that, you know, he's, he's already starts out a little bit tough, right? Like mm -hmm. even before the mom goes, he is tough. He's like, oh, you know, I'm going to make money. I'm going to do this because that's what he cares about the most. But right. as they lose things and as they go through these terrible experiences, 
Whereas Jamal is able to kind of maintain his romantic kind of outlook on life. Salim hardens himself so that he doesn't have to feel. And Salim, you know, to be fair, has to go through some worse things than Jamal because he is the older brother. And, you know, when they're with Maman in this uh, kind of criminal beggar gang thing. Yeah. You know, he, because he is a kind of a little badass, they kind of promote him, you know, to the status of the right hand man in charge of the kids. And he has to bring the kids to Maman to be blinded because blind beggars make more money. So, you know, we see Salim experiencing that for the first time that he brings this boy and the boy's eyes are put out. And it's terrible, you know, and that that gets Salim to say, you know, he's going to get them out of there. He's going to get Jamal out of there, which he does. Um, but that's a lot for a little kid to go through, you know, and Jamal doesn't understand why it's happening at the time. He just does what his brother told him to do, but he doesn't understand what that would have been like. And later on, you know, they see the boy who was blinded. Um, and that's how he knows about Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. Uh, Arvin helps him. Bill. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the Arvin story. That one. Oh my God. That's the saddest. It's, it's hard. Oh my God. It's so hard. Well, and also something else. So we've already talked about how Celine doesn't really want to feel right. He wants to cover it and he gets embarrassed when they're at, you know, the, this crime Lord beggar camp, you know, because they're testing out who can sing and those that can sing are going to get blinded. And Salim has a terrible singing voice and everyone laughs at him and makes fun of him. And that's when he rebels and tries to fight. Yeah. And that's when someone says, you know, this guy should be your dog. That's literally what they say. And it's it's really scary because it's like, okay, Salim is loyal until he decides that he's not. And he is very dangerous. And it's like you have him on the chain or he's off the chain. And you're like, oh, my God. And then when he tries to like show again that this this power, when he goes out with the kids begging, it's oh god. When he tells Latika to hold this baby because she'll make more money, yeah. she doesn't want to hold it, and he says, you know, if you don't hold this baby, I'm going to drop it. Yeah. And you're like, holy fuck, you know, this kid is like, you know, like this is too far, you know. And they also have then, you know, this situation that night where they play a prank on him. They do the chilies on the willy bit. <laughs> yeah. And then like he's embarrassed once again. So and he says, he says, I'm going to get you guys. I'm going to get you guys back. And what does he do? So it's like he, these... he separates them, really. I mean, and that's the whole thing. Salim is always trying to separate Jamal from Latika because I, I think he's jealous. Absolutely. You know, it was just him, you know, and he's done so much for Jamal and he doesn't understand, you know, how Jamal can share love with somebody besides him you know it's like you owe me kind of a thing and and at the point where he does turn on him later you know another really hard scene yeah 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 yeah. i mean what do you think about the relationship wayne between the three musketeers so you know starting from the beginning right when you know that scene where latika is out in the rain and jamal ends up calling her in because he thinks salim is asleep salim opens his eyes and knows that she's in there so that's that, you know, 
95% tough guy, 5% love that you see. You get that quick glimpse of him saying, okay, I know this is what my brother wants. I'm going to allow it to happen kind of a thing. Um, and then again, you see it when he does save Jamal from being blinded in, in the singing situation. So, you know, you get these little bits and pieces where he feels as though, again, he even says it, I'm the elder now. You will listen to what I have to say. So he, he feels that responsibility but he still does feel that love and connection to his brother because that's his, the only family he has left at that point. So, um, you know, you, you do get little glimpses of, of the human, I'm a child, uh, love. And then you get, again, about 95% of, I think you found your dog. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's, it's tough, but it's part of how they grow up and how they become who they are. Yeah. And it's also, it's also kind of like a victim of circumstance thing because, they're already super poor and then they lose their mother and you know it's kind of one of these things where you know i think a lot of the attitude toward people who are in extreme poverty like this is like well they shouldn't have even been born or something right but they were so <laughs> what are they supposed to do now you know they have no options they don't have anyone to take care of them so Salim has to step up and be that person. And in order to be that person, he has to harden himself in a way that he really can't come back from, you know, and Jamal also has to live in this situation, but he has the good fortune, I think, to have Salim there to kind of bear the brunt of the hardest stuff, you know, and then they end up, not that he doesn't experience hard things, of course he does, but you know, they end up at the Taj Mahal and he kind of just falls into doing this fake tour guide thing <laughs> yeah. by accident because, you know, these tourists just assume that, you know, he's a tour guide um, and they steal the shoes and they have like their whole situation going on there. But again, it's, it's a situation where it's children. They have no one to look out for them at all. They live in extreme poverty. The only choice they have to make money is criminal activity. Um, and that exposes them to even worse things. Because when they get picked up by Maman and they think that they're saved, you know, yeah. they think this is a wonderful man who's come to help them at first. And I, I'll never forget that scene where they're, all the kids are just like eating at the table and it's like, They've never probably seen this much food in their lives, you know, so they think that he's a saint because he's, you know, he must be a saint for taking care of us like this. Mm -hmm. And of course, he's just taking advantage of them. And uh, that's kind of the whole deal that we see time and time again in the real world is people in extreme poverty have to turn to crime and then that makes them a victim as well. And it's like a vicious cycle, and that's definitely what's going on in this. You know, the best that Jamal even can hope for in this society is his situation of being the Chaiwala at the call center. You know, he doesn't even, he's not even on the phone. He serves tea to the people who are on the phone. He can't rise above a certain spot, Jamal, because there is no option for that to do it legally. The only way that he can do it is the way that Salim does it, which is to go outside of the bounds of legal uh, work. Well, in the end, it's funny because what happens is that legally Jamal becomes a millionaire. 
and gets the woman of his dreams, you know? And so it's like, he follows that through, you know, the happiest time I feel for Salim is when he's with Jamal after they've just escaped Maman and they, they end up, you know, just stealing, you know, I mean that, that goofy sequence that's so funny, you know, where like Salim is hanging Jamal over the side of the train, (laughs) like to steal the bread. And then they just tumble off and they happen to be right at the Taj Mahal. Once again, that's destiny. That's where they're supposed to be. You know, right place, right time. Oh, you're my tour guide. Oh, yes, I am. You know, and then so they have that operation. Then they have the shoe operation, you know, and, and it, it's like it, it's exactly what they well, it's exactly what Salim wanted. You know, he wanted yeah. just to be these two brothers going out there. Against the world. together. Yes. Yeah. And but what happens? You know, this is this is the perfect thing to 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 show what you, what you're saying. So, you know, we have this one scene where Jamal goes out and he takes this American couple on a tour. They come back to the car and the car has been stripped by Salim and his friends. And the owner of the vehicle, you know, beats on Jamal. So Jamal gets hurt, right? And you know, he's like, this is the Indian way of doing things. And and you know, the Indian driver, you know, whose car has been stripped, beats up Jamal. And then this couple stops the man and uh, the, the female American, the, the wife in this couple says, this is the way we do things in America. And she's like, come on, Mike, you know, to the <laughs> husband. And he takes out a hundred dollar bill and gives it to Jamal. So it, it, that again, it's kind of like the movie because, you know, we have Jamal getting kind of hung out to dry and getting beat up. But, you know, it's like karma is coming back around for him. And what does he do with that $100 bill? That's what he gives to Arvind. And that's how he finds out where Latika is. I mean, it's, yep. it's like everything in this spins around. Oh, and one other point. This is really crazy. This is Salim. Okay. So Salim, okay. Paper Planes by MIA, the song, really is Salim. If you look at the lyrics, I actually wrote this down. <laughs> so just some of the Paper Planes lyrics, okay, by MIA, all right? I fly like paper, get high like planes. If you catch me at the border, I got visas in my name. If you come around here, I make them all day. I get one done in a second if you wait. That's very much like the Salim way. You could definitely see him selling things. You could definitely see him stealing things. You know, this is like the criminal thing that he enjoys. And when they play this song for the first time in the movie... It's, you know, when Salim and Jamal are on the train and we actually have this lyric come up that is sometimes I think sitting on trains, every stop I get to, I'm clocking that game. Everyone's a winner. We're making our fame, bona fide hustler, making my name. And then it's all I want to do is bang, 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 and a cha-ching, take your money. Right. Gunshots and a cash register. And, And that's that's really it. That is all he wants to do. That's all he wants to do. You know what I mean? And and that's what the entire song is. There, there's even more, you know, when you look at the song. But those are the ones that, that stood out to me That's such the a most. great song, too. It's perfect. It's, like, really that time. <laughs> like, I, it was in several movies in that same kind of year. But it really works in this movie. Um, because, yeah, it is about just somebody who has to do what they got to do to get paid. Yeah. It, and that's what Salim's all about. Money is king. Well, and what Danny Boyle said was he thought he had found this new great song 
you know, to release. And when he came back, Pineapple Express had already been using it and all of their trailers. And he's like, ooh, how's this going to work? Yeah, you know? Well, it worked out. Yeah. Well, but it fits so good with this. And, it, you know, this is something we haven't talked about yet because we've been talking about characters a lot. But the style in this movie is out of control awesome. Like, oh, yes. I mean, that's what, to me, really makes it, like, a classic and, and put it into that, like, award-winning category is not just that it has, like, this awesome story, great acting, great direction, but also just the way that it's made like you know there's subtitles right but it's not like your stodgy subtitles on the bottom of the screen that's like they're popping up they're different colors you know <laughs> i mean it's a colorful movie about poverty like you don't really have that too much either and it just has this very distinctive style which is at once very Danny Boyle and also very unique. And I, I, I really love that about it. And the music is part of that. And the handheld camera work is part of that too. Um, I just don't think at this point we had seen anything really shot like this movie. Um, because the speed with which they can like run through these alleys, you know, these tight spaces is something that couldn't really be achieved even with, steady cam rigs you know and things like that so the fact that they used like dv to achieve it is kind of like a step forward in filmmaking i feel um because you're able to tell stories in a different way because you're able to use this technology that can get you into places that you couldn't get to before or get you to a speed you couldn't get to before and the pace of this movie is kind of like breakneck <laughs> At many points. It is. And I mean, I feel that, well, they did have some experience with this because Boyle and Mantle, the cinematographer, both worked on 28 Days Later. And they used mini DV for that as well. So that that was, uh, you know, an earlier step they had with using it. And yeah, that, that is the thing with, with 28 Days Later. It's very similar. Anything can happen at any second. It's a normal scene. Then you have these zombies charging at you at a thousand miles an hour. And yeah. you're able to have that that kinetic energy. Yeah. You know, I, we talked about this earlier in the month with uh, Pride and Prejudice with the camera work where the camera is always moving and it, it's moving your story forward. And it is that, that same feel, but with this, there are so many beautiful colors yeah. that they're able to pull out in this film. And, and like you said, even the garbage looks gorgeous. Yeah. And that's like, yeah. You don't see that. Like, when you think about poverty, like, you think about dull, you think about brown, you think about dirty. Um, you don't think about vibrant. And there's so much vibrancy in this movie. Mm -hmm. And they use it in a real thematic way, too. Like, because every time Latika pretty much is on screen, at least as an adult, she has something yellow on or there's something yellow around her. Like, yellow is really associated with her. And I think, you know, that's because... She is like this bright light to Jamal. And when he sees her, you know, she brightens up his life. And the yellow is kind of a symbol of that. That's smart. That's smart. No, that's a really good point. I just noticed it because the it looks awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. you just see it and it sticks out because you don't normally see like this bright yellow color. No, and it is. It, it's very striking. It it looks great. 
it looks great on the film. I mean, what about you, Wayne, when you looked at the film, the, the colors? Is there anything that stood out to you with that? Yeah, you know, really what you guys were talking about there, the, the, the way that it pops, right? So you're getting this, this hope because that's what you feel for the boys at the same time. So you're getting these like good feelings in bad situations just based on the music, the colors, um, the, the dialogue, just little things that kind of jump out. Like you said, even the subtitles are in different colors sometimes to kind of make things pop and, and give you just that different, that different feeling from squalor. And, and poverty and hopelessness. So those all, all those things kind of break that up a little bit for you. And I think that's what kind of keeps people going in a positive, hopeful feeling for the boys is just seeing things like that, that, that keep things bright. No, that makes sense. That, that does make sense because there is a lot of very, very heavy subject matter, you yeah. know, that's addressed in the film. Well, cause I really thought about it this time and I hadn't thought about it before that I find this story to be very like Dickensian. So I'm going off on an English literature tear for a second. Um, it feels like a Charles Dickens thing. And I think I probably wouldn't have thought about this if it hadn't been for the fact that Dev Patel did a David Copperfield movie a few years ago. So maybe I just have Dev Patel and Charles Dickens mixed together in my head now. But that being said, maybe it is written that that is the case because this is very Dickensian too. Like, you know, Dickens was writing in Victorian England about poverty a lot um, because people were really starting to see the great distinction between the poor classes and the rich classes and the huge gap that was happening there um and there was the development of a working class at that time which is something that i think you know they're kind of trying to show in this movie is happening in india at this time because you have you know the scene where salim and jamal are in that kind of parking structure and that half-built building or whatever yes and they're like looking out and uh the jehu slum used to be there and now it's all these huge buildings where business is happening um and this wasn't something that they could have even imagined would have been going on when they were children and now that they're older you know india's having this revitalization because they're bringing business in and like the call centers and things like that are coming over to India. So in Victorian England, when Charles Dickens was writing, that's the kind of thing that was happening there. The Industrial Revolution was creating a middle class of working people. And I think that, you know, then you get Dev Patel, you put him into these Dickens type stories, or even a David Copperfield, uh, exactly a Dickens story. And he just fits there, like really well. <laughs> because you have the story about these kids who are experiencing poverty. They go through hell, you know, it's like Oliver Twist or something. Mm -hmm. They're orphans and they have like this change in fortune. Well, Jamal has like this change in fortune that's almost magical in nature. Um, so I haven't read a ton of Dickens, but like Great Expectations is pretty much about like this poor kid who falls in love with this rich girl and over the course of a very long book and a lot of really crazy things happening you know uh he continues to love her so it kind of really reminded me of jamal in this so we have like your oliver twist your great expectations like it just fits it just fits because it's like the i mean i find that literature which includes film generally reflects the time that it was made in and like 
when you have similar things happening in societies, you have similar stories that come out of those societies. And that's what I see here. Sidebar over. <laughs> no, that was a good point. It's a very good point. I mean, it's the things that, you know, you don't think about that are so exciting to hear. And for me, I, I didn't put that together. And I mean, that that's that completely makes sense to me. Yeah, I certainly didn't put it together when we saw this the first time. because I don't think I'd read any Charles Dickens at that time. But since that point, I had read Great Expectations and um, and just gotten to know more about what Charles Dickens was doing with this writing. And of course, we talked about Christmas Carol multiple times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we have in different like you know ways over the course of this podcast. So I have Dickens on my mind more often than I did in two thousand eight. I mean, what about you, Wayne? What does this story put you in mind of? I, it, it's so interesting because you know at the time, you know, obviously, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? The show itself was huge, right? It was sweeping the nation. Everybody was all about it, watching it. So. To kind of see that tie back into it, to me, is interesting that they're, you know, that was utilized, obviously, originally with the novel Q&A. Um, but now we're getting to see, you know, again, the, the, the story of hope and perseverance from this child who has grown up as hard as it can be. And then tying in all these individual situations as to why he knows these answers and, and, and that whole storyline. And it's kind of like, and I know in a lot of movies have done this, it's kind of like Forrest Gump where he's telling the story of his past in real time. So we're kind of getting that tie-in of the, the explanation. And that to me is what's really interesting about the movie. A movie doesn't have to necessarily be great to be interesting for me. It's one of those things where it's just a cool kind of a story. It's interesting. It's unique. So that's really what kind of tied me into it and, and got me interested in it was how it's being told and just the uniqueness of the story itself of this, you know, perfect storm of how I know every question, I know every answer. Um, and even the ones I don't know, I can kind of get there. Um, so really just that that's, that's what the interesting part is for me as far as, you know, how it's told and how it goes through the story itself. Yeah, I love that. I think it's funny with the who wants to be a millionaire kind of a frame story as well, because yeah, when I watch that this time, you know, I think about how big of a deal that was back then. And, you know, it's not a big deal now. We do have, I guess we do have TV game shows now. John and I just watch Celebrity Family Feud on Hulu, and that's pretty much it. We love but, it. We love it, love it, love it. Oh, yeah. It's the Steve Harvey of it all. That's why. But, you know, back then, like, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was a huge phenomenon. And, you know, everybody was watching it pretty much, and everybody was talking about it. And you don't really think about these people who are on the show, you know, like, what is their life like? You know, how do they know all this stuff? You know, I mean, Jeopardy, I think is a pretty big thing now. Like yeah. your mom talks about it all the time. Oh my God. Yeah. She loves Jeopardy. Jeopardy. I mean, we grew up watching it, but I feel like now I feel like she likes it, it even more. I think yeah. since like the, the passing of Alex Trebek and then it, it changed up the host, I, I don't know. I think it, it put more of a spotlight on it for some people. Yeah, I mean, I used to watch it in college all the time, and I love trivia. Like, I'm a huge trivia person. Sure. You know, and I would, I, I always would watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and be yelling at the TV about people knowing or not knowing an answer. <laughs> you know? And in this movie, I kind of am too, because I find that I know that thematically it works for that question to be about who's the th name of the third musketeer, but it's too easy of a question. 
There's Maybe no for way you. that would be the last question. No, for anyone. No, I no, would have no, been no, like no. Uh, uh, Joe on, Smith. I would have been like on. Joe Smith was You've the third seen, Musketeer. You've like, seen seventy different adaptations of Three Musketeers. You definitely know Aramis, but like, I know the actors that played different roles, but I, I don't know. I was like, oh yeah, Charlie Sheen's in that one, and <laughs> Oliver Platt. Oliver Platt for five hundred, Alex. I, I don't no, know. No, no. You know. No. I understand. So, no, but no, really. On Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the the last question was always like a brain buster. Like even when you would get up into like the over sixteen thousand dollars tier, it started getting really tough. Like even for me, and I know everything, as we all know. In the movie they don't ignore that, right? So they focus on, okay, how did you not know? who's on, you know, the, the thousand rupee note? How did you not know this, you know, whatever the verbiage is that they're asking? My five-year-old daughter knows that question. You know, how do, how do you know who's on this and not on that? And he says, well, they didn't ask me that. They asked me this. So they acknowledge <laughs> the fact that there are easy questions that he don't, that he doesn't know, that he should know, but he doesn't, or whatever the reasoning is for it. And he knows these very specific ones. So they don't ignore the fact that there are certain things that, he should be aware of that he isn't, but the important things are what he is aware of. Yeah, and that's back to the fate idea that, you know, he's meant to be here because the whole reason that he's on the show, he doesn't even care about the money. Nope. Like, this isn't even about that for him. It's about the fact that when he saw Lantica at Javed's house, she was watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and he feels that the longer he can be on the show, the more likelihood he has of her seeing him on there so that they can reconnect. And it's like, because that's his, because his reason for being there is this pure kind of reason that isn't about just wanting to be, you know, stocking up money. I think that's why fate is like doing him a favor by allowing him to stay there getting him these questions that are perfectly tailored to who he is because yeah, they are. I mean, that's the greatness of the story is that every question ties back to a very specific moment in his life that is very memorable to him so that there's no way he's going to forget the answer. And I think we should talk about Prem for a yes, minute. Yes, yes. I want, okay. Because Prem is a dick. So, and but it's, he's so good. It's he's so, so disappointing. Good. Because, Such a good actor. Well, because he's very likable, right? I mean, yes. like, he's a game show host, right? So he's supposed to be. But, like, he's so likable. And you're just like, oh, this guy's great. And then he turns out to be, like, a huge a-hole. Yeah, he's off and he's on. I mean, his hair, thank you, perfect. <laughs> you know, the the diamond earring, oh, yeah. I mean, that thing is a rock, you know what I mean? And he is always looking perfect anytime he's on. So the actor, Anil Kapoor, this is his first English language film. This is his first English language film. He's amazing. He's incredible. <laughs> I watched this behind the scenes thing and I loved it. And it was Anil Kapoor. And it was just like, all right, he's giving you like some of the prem, but in real life, he's like, yeah, you know, they sent me the script, but I don't read the script. You know, my kid read the script and said it was really good. So then I, I you know, I took a look and I, you know, decided to be on board. You know what I mean? I was like, all right. He's you know, like a, I don't know, super classy Joe Pesci look. <laughs> And for 200,000 rupees, you fucking prick. <laughs> Who's the last fucking musketeer? 
your mother, the guy that fucked your mother, somebody else's mother, or this dog I found under a fucking pincushion. <laughs> All right, well, I'm done for the day now. That's uh, that was you know just a little <laughs> Pesci millionaire, you know. Who wants to be a Pesci, Pesci millionaire? John does. <laughs> it's oh, good. It's... Yeah. <laughs> Back to Anil Kapoor. <laughs> yeah, Anil Kapoor is amazing. He added in, okay, so you know where he, like, Jamal really gets under his skin and he kind of stutters. You know what I mean? So it's like it's like his image is cracking a little. And so he decided that he was going to add in this dance at the end, you know, in celebration. And he made everything that the character showed of his own feelings just be part of the drama of the game show. Because you know how they make every single second on those game shows seem like, you know, you're going to die that very instant. <laughs> yes. You know, it, it's amazing tension that they build up. Masterfully done. Masterfully the, done. Just the, It's all, all just in music and lights on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, too. It's like those lights come in and this music comes in and it's like you're going to be guillotined yeah. if you get the wrong answer. <laughs> it's going to happen. I mean, it's terrifying, kind of. <laughs> John, that moment that you're referencing where he dances, I think is, is my favorite scene of the entire movie because it comes after him trying to sabotage the situation and Jamal realizes it. And after he realizes it, he has that sort of subtle smirky grin on his face and Prem doesn't know what to do. So he has to seem like he's excited for this situation because that's his job. And he gets up and he does his little dance move and Jamal's just sitting there thinking, I got you. And, and you hate this, but but I love that you're putting on the show for it. And it at that moment to me, it just you feel so good. And you're like, good. I'm glad that you got screwed over and you have to try and seem like you're happy for this kid who's going to take the notoriety that you've built, that, you know, you are supposed to be the only famous one around right now. And he's overtaking you and it, it eats you up inside. But you have to pretend like you love it. <laughs> so great. And I love that. You know, again, we're back to Jamal's experience informing his choices here because he has been screwed over by people before. And I think just like us, he really has no reason to think that this guy hates him. Like, I was kind of taken aback. I'm like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> because you just think this game show host is just this friendly guy that he pretends to be. And, but then when Jamal sees behind the curtain, and realizes the kind of person he's dealing with, he has references for that. You know, he can go back and say, oh, you're just bullshitting me. You're bullshitting everyone. I know a bullshitter, so I'm not going to trust you. And he doesn't, and that's how he gets the question right, is by knowing that this type of person is going to be an asshole. You know, it's back to his life, informing his knowledge and i love that every everything ties together in a really you know perfect way like it's one of those things where i think with forrest gump also you're watching it and you're like oh this could never happen but then you go along with it anyway because <laughs> it works you get sucked into it yeah yeah and uh, i believe it I, I i believe it in well this. it's fairy tale it's magical but it has enough realism to it as well that it's grounded. 
so that it doesn't kind of go off the rails for you. You can still, you know, it's not like he's lived a charmed life at every single moment of his life. In fact, much the opposite. Mm -hmm. But it's like, even with that, all the, it's kind of hopeful because it it's like all the hardships that he has been through have led him to this moment. So it was worth it to go through all of that to get where he gets at the end. He's rich, basically, and he gets the girl who he's always wanted to have in his life. And it's because he went through all of the horrible stuff. He couldn't have done it any other way. No. And I mean, he also realizes with Prem that Prem is very much like the jealous people that he's dealt with in his life. Because Prem tells him that he is the only person that has come, you know, from poverty to come to this position. And, you know, he is very proud of that. And he does not want anyone taking that away from him. You know, he actually says, it's my goddamn show at one point. You know, we see it later. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want him taking the money. He doesn't want him taking the fame. You know, and again, it, it there's a lot of vanity with Prem. You know, Jamal is younger. You know, what if they like the younger guy and all of a sudden they're like, well, maybe he should do a game show. You know, maybe I and think that happens. Right. So it's a reasonable fear. It's crazy. And it's the other thing that I love about Prem is, yes, he feeds him the wrong answer after Jamal has used a 50-50. So there's a 50-50 shot at this point. And again, I find real irony in the fact that this scene happens in the bathroom <laughs> After Prem just fucking blasted off a leak. <laughs> you love a bathroom scene. They're so pivotal. Look, Prem got in on it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, Anil Kapoor seems like my kind of dude. I think he was probably like, oh, scenes in the bathroom? I'm going to rip one down. Let's get this on film. <laughs> you know, it's because, again, I like it because it shows how little he cares about Jamal. It, it's just another status thing. You understand that that's that's how unimportant he is. That's why I like it. It's such a good, good character piece. And so and he acts like he's caring for Jamal by leaving, you know, this letter B in the steam. Yeah. And what there are two things that are interesting about this. So he has a 50 50 at this point and he can read Prem and he can tell that he's lying. So Prem actually did indirectly give him yeah, the did. answer, which is incredible. And also the actual shot of the letter B, they couldn't get on location no matter what they did. They couldn't get enough steam. So Danny Boyle actually shot that insert of the letter B in the steam in his own bathroom <laughs> because his bathroom mirror always steams up. So he's like, yeah, I'll just do this at home. <laughs> That's amazing. Let's take care yeah. of it. Right. He's like, I'll handle it. I mean, that's these are very DIY filmmakers. And that's, that's what I love about it. Yes. Always thinking outside of the box, always wanting to push the boundaries. And also, again, you know, I feel like growing up, you know, a lot of movies you see in the United States or about the United States, you don't necessarily get to see outside of there, you know, growing up, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you know, other countries were basically places where action scenes <laughs> happened. Or where yeah, the bad guys true. live. Or where you the know? bad guys are from. Yeah. yeah. This so is this is a different take because, you know, you're you're experiencing life through these 
the eyes of these kids yes. whose lives are very different from ours. I mean, Simon Beaufort is really good at writing poor people having joy type movies because he did the full Monty also. Oh, wow. He wrote it. And that's about, you know, these working class people in Northern England who have like lost all their jobs and there's really bleak outlook for all of them. And, they, you know, how do they get out of it by like, you know, doing a strip show, <laughs> even though they're just like work class dudes. Great it's movie. An awesome movie. I love that movie. That definitely is going to make an appearance on here at some point in time. Um, Cause I love that one. And it's, you know, kind of a similar thing again. You have people who have a really dire situation that there's pretty much no way out of. And then kind of this, you know, magical deliverance of fate, you know, pulls Jamal out and puts him where he's supposed to be. And all of the suffering turns out to have been exactly what was required. You know, it's like a, a transactional. almost. <laughs> like, all right, you can have your dream, but you need to do this list of horrible things. You need to live through this. And it comes back to like almost being like mythological, you know, like a Hercules's tasks kind of a thing that he has to like go through all of these um, trials in order to achieve, you know, the end result that he gets. Well, in both the full Monty and Slumdog, what we have is, our characters are using their own skills. They're using what they have. It isn't like a magic sword, you no. know, or a flying horse. It's them, you know, and that's what they use to move themselves forward that's in both true. stories. And it's, I, I very much like that. I wouldn't have thought of that. Well, I wouldn't we have, have the thought character of Gaz and that, which is Robert Carlyle, mm -hmm. you know, and he's kind of like a hustler kind of guy who's always just trying to, make something happen and everything and and you know he drags all the guys with them and yeah it's a really good movie it's a good movie too i just love it yeah but this is you know a different take on the same kind of deal because you have these people who you know there's no way out of that situation the only way out is the crime way which is what salim chose and even though Salim is a dick and like you can really hate him throughout yeah. this movie for some of the things he does, I think you can also be sympathetic to him as well and understand that he took the only out that he could see. And really, it's not easy to be in the situation that he was in trying to do what he was doing i'm not saying that he handled everything well because he didn't and we have that whole the the scene that really is kind of like one of the darkest moments in the movie to me is when salim comes in and like kicks out um jamal and i don't there is like the suggestion of sexual assault there that like salim is you know, going to have his way with Latika or whatever. I'm not sure if we're supposed to take that or not, but that's what I got from it. And it's kind of like a point of no return in Jamal and Salim's relationship where, like, the betrayal has just gone too far. Because um, Salim has betrayed Jamal many times. Yes. In service of, you know, teaching him a lesson or 
trying to keep him safe or whatever, you know, um, when they were jumping on the train and Lantica was trying to catch up with them, Salim grabbed her hand and could have pulled her up with them, but he purposefully let her go because he didn't want her with them. Um, and I feel in a way that in this scene later when they're, you know, teens or whatever, and he kicks out Jamal, it's like he wants to spoil Watika so that Jamal doesn't love her anymore. That scene, okay, so Danny Boyle said that, yes, there was supposed to be the suggestion of a sexual assault, which I didn't get. Uh, but when I when I heard him say that, I was like, oh, my God. And it made everything so much worse and so much more unforgivable for me that when we came to this, you know, redemption arc at the end, I was like, go fuck yourself and, and don't touch her. Like, get the fuck. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and like, I also thought back to when Jamal first sees Salim, you know, on that building. And he imagines tackling him and going off the roof. And again, I mean, this gets me so fired up. Salim is such a fucking coward that he, like, is trying to make excuses. Oh, I left a message for you. Oh, Maman's guys were all over the place. I did that to help you out. Bullshit, 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 bullshit. And it's it's very, very difficult to come back um with Salim and you don't I mean I don't really think that it is like a point of no return like Salim cannot be fully redeemed for what he's done that's why he dies like he can't live you know the story cannot be served by Salim you know redeeming himself and making it through well in the in the original script Salim actually was supposed to commit suicide and it was the actors that read for the part that said, no, no, you have to have it that he kills the boss. Otherwise, it, he's going to pursue him. You know, there's no and way that's around true, it. that's true. But, I mean, he does have to kill. It worked out exactly the way it has to work out. Also, I don't think Salim would commit suicide. No, I don't either. Salim would go down in a blaze of glory, yes. which is what he does. But he wouldn't. I mean, he knows he's going to die, but that's different than just killing himself. Like, he wouldn't. I don't. I don't see Salim doing that. It's not in character. No. And he also does, it seems, get the redemption because his last words are, God is great. And he looks at peace. So it's like, okay, I guess he did get redemption. I mean, it's a type of redemption, but again, I think like he he has to die still. Absolutely. It's like he has to be punished for his sins. He's, well, because I feel that I feel that if Salim lived, he would have made sure to undo any good that he did a million times over. It's just in his nature. Yeah. You know, he is like a scorpion. You know what I mean? He just needs to keep going. He can't, he can't stop himself. And, you know, he has just too much. I mean, and the other part of it, and this is super gross, but this goes back to this assault in in the hotel, okay, is when he kills Maman, when they go in, okay, what do we see? We see Jamal and Salim peeking through the keyhole, okay, and they see Latika dancing. And then they break in, and then, you know, Maman is like, oh, what are you going to do, you know? And then we have it escalate because Salim pulls out 
the gun, you know, and Maman thinks he's going to use his smooth talking to talk him down, but it's not going to happen this time. And again, it's like going back to like this paper planes motto of Salim. He asks for the money. And so it's like he takes out the bills and then he takes out the change. And a weird kind of note is when the change hits the floor, it's almost like the cash register sound mm. and paper planes. And, you know, so then he he kills him. Uh, well, before he kills him, this is the important part. What is said is that Latika is a very valuable virgin. And so she is a commodity. OK, so Salim, again, he wants to take everything that is valuable. Mm-hmm. And and so it lends credence to the assault because this is the ultimate for him. Not only does he get to deeply hurt both of them, okay, he also gets to take this most valuable thing that no one else can ever have because he took it. Yeah, super true. It's super sick and creepy, and it's, but yeah, I, I really think that's part of his and that's mindset. But, I mean, and I think that's why he's beyond, like, surviving yeah. at the end. He can't, he can redeem, but not survive. Well, and he also, you know, the other part that we have is we, we go back to the train station where Latika is there, and she goes and she meets Jamal, and we think, okay, you know, we get that great shot that we talked about, that point of view shot where Jamal sees her at the train in the yellow dress and she's beautiful. That, that's like this memory of greatness. But then the bad guys led by Celine come and they chase her and they take her and then her face gets cut. Yeah. And it's like the, the, the problem there is that we talked about Latika not really being able to dream anymore because so much horrible shit has happened to her. And she took this great leap of faith by going to this train station and believing and having that moment and what happened she got she got disfigured and she got taken back and i'm sure a lot more horrible stuff happened yeah and it's it's i i do think that there's a lot of this that has to do with faith it does definitely have to do with perseverance like we talked about and jamal is a person that can really take it i mean they say that you know, he goes through this all-night torture interrogation session. Yeah. He gets electrocuted. He gets beaten. You know, they don't stop with this guy. And on top of that, they beat him and interrogate him up to the second that he has to go back and be on fucking television. Yeah. And he just does it. He still does it. I mean, this is what I... I, I don't know. Jamal is definitely my favorite character in this because he does keep who he is intact like through some of the worst possible things yeah like the person he is at the end is still the person he was at the beginning yes he's learned a lot yes he's different in that you know he's a little bit harder he's a little bit tougher he's been toughened by life but even though he has that outer shell that can take a lot of punishment and damage he's still who he is inside he still has like this flame within him and I love his interactions with these these police who are interrogating him, you know. Yeah. Where Irfan Khan's character is basically just saying, like, yeah, you tell the truth. You tell the truth too much, you know. Because he's basically, you know, saying, yeah, I'm an accessory to murder, an accessory to all these other crimes. 
just to, you know, explain how he knows these answers. So it's like he's so honest and truthful that he could really have been getting himself into more trouble than he already was in. And, you know, the, the, what he says to that is, you ask me a question, I answer it, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's very black and white to him. Like, he has this belief that is unshakable. Um, and I think that's really awesome. And I think Dev Patel is, like, the perfect person to play this part. Um, he has this nobility to him. I just, yeah. I just trust him and I believe him and I believe that he will not be deterred. And people just say throughout the whole thing, you're too stupid. You shouldn't know this. They, they just do everything they can to cut him down. down. Yeah. And he is not stopped. He, no. he keeps going. He's a, he's like a rock. He will not be, you know, swayed. And I think that's super cool. And he takes down Prem really when you think about it. And that guy, he has two very distinct personalities, one when he's on and one when he's not. And, I mean, he's able to shake that guy. I mean, that's like, wow. Yeah. You know, he's able to get past all of these gangsters who don't kill him. He's able to get by that. Um, again, a paper planes thing I thought about. Some I murder, some I let go. Again, it's like Salim. Yeah. Some he does murder, some he lets go. Well, I think part of it is like the the person who's hurt Jamal more than anyone else is his brother who he loves the most. So yeah. I think in a way he's kind of just like, you know, do your best. You're not going to be able to hurt me the way that my brother hurt me. And, you know, that's why it's worth it to him. It's almost like that nothing to lose thing. Like he has really nothing to lose at this point you know he has a job it's not fulfilling he's not gonna go anywhere with this he's doing what he's doing you know it's not as bad as what he grew up in but he's kind of at the terminus of where he can advance and he still doesn't have the one thing that he needs in his life and wants in his life which is Latika and he'll do whatever it takes to get that to get you know where he needs to be and it's like it just doesn't matter. You can hook him up to the car battery all you want. He's not gonna. He's not gonna change. Well, Salim is the same way because we actually have the section of the film where they're working, you know, in the kitchen, and it's honest work. And Salim can't stand it. Yeah. You know, so it's like Jamal tries to even, you know, bring him over to the light, and and he doesn't want to go. He refuses. The only time that he decides to change is when he decides to change. Now, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but this is something I kind of saw throughout the film. We have a lot of shots where we've got one eye in shadow and one eye in the light. Mm. And you also get some reflections, too, um, with some of the, the different characters, which makes sense. Like, again, that, that kind of building, you know, exposed area, rooftop scene with Salim and Jamal. You can see Jamal and Salim's glasses. That makes sense. You know, when we see Arvind, you know, getting blinded, we can actually, you know, see the fire, it, you know, one of the bad guy's eyes. I get that. But throughout the film, we have the, this this thing with eyes, okay? We also have Latika gets the black eye, right? She has the sunglasses on at the end. Takes them off, it's got the black eye. We also have earlier in the film, when Jamal gets beat up, when the car gets stripped, again, we've got the black eye. 
when they first go out to beg, and this is the time where Salim is running the operation and yelling at her, yelling at Latika to hold the baby, she actually takes some kind of cloth and puts it over her eye yeah, at one point. Does, yeah. And it's just like, it's something that we see time and time again. So I don't know hmm. if this is, and, and we see it on Jamal, we see it on Salim, uh, when we have, when Prem turns over Jamal to the police, we actually, you know, have a, a situation where we have the uh, the controller, his eyes are in shadow, and then they're in light. You know what I mean? So it, it it's like we we have it throughout. I'm not sure if it's it, it's an intentional theme. I'm sure it is because mm. these are very smart smart filmmakers. Um, I don't, is it to say that there's good and bad in all of us? I mean, I, I, don't I know. thought that at first with like the dark and light, but. With people's eyes being covered, right. like, intentionally, I don't know. That's really hard, because it has to be a symbol of something. I mean, Shakespeare uses that all the time with, like, eyes, you know, and perception. And it's about, like, seeing things in an unclear way versus in a clear way. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it applies here. But it has to. Well, we also have fire and water, which come out a lot in this film, too. And we see the fire, you know, at the riot where the mother passes away. We see Salim's always smoking, so it's like he always has that flame. At the end, when Salim, right before he makes the stand there in the bathroom with the money tub, he washes his face, you know, in the sink. You know, and I mean, that could be a symbol of baptism. But again, mm -mm. it's like it's cooled the flames of him. You're 100% right. I never thought this. this is absolutely brilliant because, boy, do I love an elemental symbol. <laughs> but Salim is fire. He's always on fire, right? He's burning up with his hate and his anger at all times. Jamal is water hmm. because he can fit into any container okay he can adapt you know to shape to the shape of his environment but he is also an unstoppable force because if you think about water and how it erodes rock you know the constant drip of water can erode rock and wear away the hardest things because of the persistence of water so Dang, that's smart. I love it. Cool. I, I mean, I wondered about it. I was like, well, thank you. I was like, I don't know. There's something going on here. And, you know, it's well, just... and then Latika is probably air. I mean, I'll have to think about this more. And I will, because it's so exciting <laughs> to me. But, like, you know, I think she represents, like, spirit and air and something that surrounds you, you know, and that provides life in a way, too. Like, all of these elements do that. But... Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's really exciting thought. But yeah, I definitely see the Jamal as water and uh, Salim as fire. And, you know, in a lot of ways, they are opposite, you know, and they are at odds with each other pretty much from the beginning of their life. And actually, if we're talking about fire and water, him going into the tub, I guess, is also symbolic once again of him forever quenching 
the fire. Yeah. yeah it is. I mean, like, uh, oh, wow. you know, when you have a person who is symbolizes kind of, or who is symbolized by this fire, who feels like a fire person, whenever that person has to interact with water, you know that that is going to be bad for them. And this is what does happen there. I didn't even consider the fact you know, that he washes his face and then gets into a tub. Yeah. And I know the tub isn't full of water, but I mean, yes, it is a receptacle of water that he's in. How about you, Wayne? Did you see anything crazy like this in the movie? Uh, well, you know, tying back into, George, what you were talking about with Latika and the yellow. So I, I feel like she's definitely that sun, hope, light, glow kind of thing that keeps the, the, the dullness of, of the boys uh, you know, keeps them going. But, you know, getting back to also that scene when we finally get adult Jamal and Salim meeting up when Salim looks like a Bruno Mars lookalike for some reason. <laughs> but we, oh, we really get them does. up on that tower <laughs> in the in the <laughs> building um, and, you know, Jamal hits him in the face. And you get again that moment when he says, I will never forgive you for this, referencing back that, you know, um, what we assume was some sort of a sexual assault in the, in the abandoned hotel. And Salim, again, has that moment where we get little snippets of where he says, I know. He says to himself, I know, after Jamal says, I'll never forgive you for this. So he understands the things that he does are wrong or, you know, against what his brother wants or needs or whatever it might be. And, you know, just, again, we, we get that that little hint of light in Salim, but he just extinguishes it so quickly with some of the other things that he does. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to see sometimes. And that's why, you know, after that point, that's where he becomes, uh, you know, it, it's not redeemable anymore. He, he is who he is. He's made his choices. And and no matter what he can do at that point, it's not going to be enough to try and fix it. And even though in the end he tries to and he, and he does his best, it doesn't take away from all the horrible things that he's done, even though in the end he fixes it. Yeah, like he helps them to, he helps Latika and Jamal to get what they need but i agree i think that there's just no way out of it for him like he can't get out of this alive like he's done unforgivable things that just aren't gonna and he knows like i think that's a really important distinction that you're making because yeah he had to do some things because he had to do it but then there's other things that he did because he wanted to do it and he knew that it was wrong and he did it anyway and that's where he did have a choice and he made the he made a bad choice on purpose. Yeah, that's a very important distinction. Yeah. So who's so I think who's your favorite character, John? Prem? Prem is my favorite character because I really am impressed with the acting. I this is guy's first English language film. He really holds it down as this game show host. He plays every single emotion that there is in this character. I feel that we really get a full picture of Prem, and it isn't like we have the benefit of any flashbacks. It's just his interactions. And the interactions that aren't on camera, you know, I feel like there are less. And I feel like that's really where we find out the most about this person. So it's very, very engaging it's very layered yes like he's playing multiple things at the same time in a really 
great way. And I didn't expect this when I saw it. Like, I mean, I thought he was great. And I was just like, oh, this character's funny and he's, you know, awesome and whatever. And then he turns out to be like a dick. And I was like, what? So yeah. that was cool. What about you, Wayne? Who would you say is your favorite character? Prem's a good one. Prem's a good one. <laughs> but I, I just, there's something about young Jamal. Whereas he's just this young child and he's just living life and has this ignorance and, and, and being so naive to, to what's going out there because it's all he knows. You know, we look at it from the outside as, oh my goodness, how can he live like that? And to him, it's just, this is what we do. This is who I am. So, you know, and, and just that range of emotion with him, you know, whether even something as simple as at the beginning when they're playing baseball uh, at, at, at the airfield and he misses the catch and you're like, oh, that poor kid. And his brother's yelling at him, but then they're back together again and they're laughing and jumping around and running from the police. And, and then again, we get the, the autograph situation. There's just so many emotions, you know, that you only get from a character who is a child. You know, adult things we can kind of understand and say, OK, they're adults. They can handle certain things. But, you know, when you get that child aspect of to it, I, I, I really love him as a, as a kid. Yeah, I think it's, again, so amazing what they were able to do with these young actors who really weren't actors <laughs> i mean like the purity of their performance i think is that you know they're kind of just playing themselves in a way and they do have so much joy in them uh especially the jamal kid and it's like almost misplaced like i, I see what you mean like you look at the situation there and like how can this person just be so happy and like so full of life and yet he is and you know that because this is his life and he you know it's like it's kind of like you have a choice in a way of you know you're going to be in this situation do you want to be happy in it or just be miserable and you know his inner spark like makes him happy regardless of what's going on and i love it <laughs> it's it's great yeah, I mean, it makes me kind of think of Moonlight in a way where we have, like, the same person in three different ages. Yes. And that's another really good movie. Um, and you see, you know, again, we're talking about poverty and crime situation and stuff like that, too. So it's really smart. Well, again, we have our three main characters, and they are the ones that we see at three different ages. So three is a very important number to the film. I mean, I don't really have anything to elaborate on with that, but it's just something that I thought about. Um, I also really respond to films that give us a spread of time. You know, I feel like we get to see the person's life. I mean, we can really, I think, pretty much all agree that from here on out, Jamal and Latika have a wonderful, wonderful life. Yeah. But, you know, this piece at the beginning, I feel that going over the three different time periods really paints the entire picture and we're able to really understand how they got to this place because I don't feel that Jamal or Latika would be the type of people to really discuss, you know, how they ended up here or what happened, yeah. you know, it would be, he was on the game show, it, you know, that, that would kind of be it, you yeah. know, um, I, they I don't can do whatever they want pretty much at this point because they have, you know, the amount of money that can make them semi comfortable for at least a certain period of time and they don't have to like feel that they need to revisit where they came from. And the three is also broken at this point because uh, Salim is gone. 
I mean, I've, since you've said you don't know anything about the Three Musketeers, I'm really me talking in my own face right now. But like, it's Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, and Athos is uh, Salim. He's angry. You know, if we look at like older um, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, and the Man in the Iron Mask. You can think about John Malkovich if you want to, because that's the actor that played him. <laughs> you know, he's lost his son. He's furious. He's angry. He hates everything. And he just wants the world to burn down. And that's Salim, right? Salim's angry and chaotic. And then you have Porthos, who's kind of like this happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And it's not exactly Jamal is happy-go-lucky, but... Out of all of them, I guess he fits to that the best. You know, is this person who, uh, and, and Porthos's character is more about like women and drinking and eating and, you know, just appreciating life in a sensory kind of way. Um, so it's a little bit different. But at the same time, we look at young Jamal, and young Jamal is all about being happy, you know, and just enjoying life, even though. You know, how can you enjoy life in this situation? He finds a way. And then Aramis is the spiritual one. And I don't feel that we get to know Latika as well as I would like to have. Um, she's kind of more of a, a symbol or a representation in this movie than like an actual person. I think the one time we kind of do see something different about her is when she says, so what? <laughs> when he says he loves her. I love that part yeah. so much. I <laughs> but, love it. I mean, overall, I feel like we could have gotten a little bit more with her. Um, she's more representational than a character. But she's she is perfect for, like, the Aramis part because of, you know, Aramis is more spiritual, air, what things represent, symbolism, as opposed to tangible realities um so that was my three musketeers moment it was solid <laughs> it was solid man hey who was your favorite character georgia it was jamal yeah i think i said this earlier i mean older jamal because for me i mean i love kid jamal too but like older jamal has just like really been through it and like i love like a character who is tough but still um, pure in a certain kind of way. And I think Jamal is like just, you know, the fact that he is who he is. I mean, we had this talk many times on the show. When I talk about my favorite character, it's always coming back to the same thing. It's like the person who just really knows who they are and remains that regardless of the situation. And I just love that kind of character. You know, I think that I relate to that because I'm similar to that in a way. And I, I love seeing myself represented on screen by a different character or in books. Like, I think I'm, I'm guessing everybody feels this way <laughs> that you, you love it when you can identify with someone. And obviously I haven't gone through the horrible stuff that Jamal has gone through in his life, but I understand like the, the going through a hardship and, you know, everybody wants you to do something a certain way and you can't force yourself to do that. You have to do it your own way. And he does that. Like, he doesn't harden himself into being like Salim. He doesn't, 
you know, betray himself and just give up. You know, he could have given up when he's being tortured at the police station. He could have given up, but he doesn't. He's like, no, I'm not giving up. This is it. This is, you know, because he has a purpose for what he's doing and he will not be swayed from that purpose. And I just love that. I think it's a great kind of a hero character to have as your lead. So one of the other things that we see in Slumdog Millionaire quite a bit are these Dutch angle shots in the movie. Okay, so that's kind of like those off-kilter shots that you see that you'd see like in a Hitchcock film. And it's to show that things just aren't okay. It's to show, you know, that there is tension. And, you know, just some examples, like when we see Salim drinking, we have one of the Dutch angle shots. Salim going to his new boss's place. Salim meeting his new boss. The shot of the boss. You know, it, it's something that we see time and time and time again in Slumdog. And really, it's because things are so chaotic. I mean, there really is no ground zero. I don't ever feel like we really have our feet on the ground. I do feel very tense and very scared, and I don't feel like anything is ever safe. And then they even, you know, augment that with the cross-cutting, particularly at the end where we cut between the Millionaire Game Show and Salim's final stand. You just don't know what's going to happen. And then we also go to Lodica trying to find the phone, you know, and you're just like, oh, my God. You know, it's there's so much to this movie that, that just builds so much tension. And it really just comes together into this explosion at the end where we end in a Bollywood number. And it's such a celebratory moment. And, you know, we have Lodica and Jamal, you know, the adult Lodica and Jamal at the head of this massive group down at the train station. Right. And, you know, they're dancing. And then we actually get a cut to the younger Jamal. Well, the youngest, I should say, Jamal and Lodica dancing. It just it makes your heart so warm, you know, and it makes yeah. everything perfect. The end of this film just has so much to make you feel wonderful. When Jamal sees Latika at the station, he has the, this flood of memories, you know, his best memories, his victories. And then he sees her and it, oh, it's incredible. And he goes and he moves Latika's hair away from the scar and he kisses it. And it's almost like he's, he's healing her. He's sending her this, this wonderful energy. Because again, it's like we see him dialing back these memories. They're in rewind. And it's like, I feel like he's saying to her, we can get out of the, the, this constant trouble and panic. And you can go back to that wonderful, brilliant light that you are, that perfect moment of joy that you had, because that is going to be your life from now on. You know, and then we, of course, go into the number. Um, well, the kissing the scar, so I think, good. I think the kissing the scar almost is, like saying, even though you've been through hell, it's worth it because we're here now. And like those things made you who you are just the same way that he has gone through hell. But it was the going through hell that brought him to heaven. Ooh, good one. Like Dante's Inferno kind of shit. Okay. Which I haven't read, so I'm not going to say anything else and I'm probably wrong, but. <laughs> That's okay. I haven't read I, it either. I, I Wayne, mean, did you my, read it? I have not read it. <laughs> Dante. I heard you read it, Wayne. You know, yeah, we're all I let you borrow that. my copy. We used to, you know, read it on the sly. Yeah, the poetry you know? version for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, I, my understanding of that is that, you know, this character takes a journey through 
all these levels of hell to get to the person he loves. Um, same shit, different story here, you know. Definitely. And, and that's where, Georgia, that. your point of it being relatable, right? So although we haven't gone through the same things as, as these characters, we've all become who we are based on our past and based on the things that we've gone through, good, bad, or indifferent. So that's where that relatability factor comes in with both of them. You know, obviously it's, it's more to an extreme level, but that's where that relatability ties in as well, I think. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it makes it, yeah, it, it makes it real. Um, again, where this could be off the rails, fantastical, it isn't because of that grounding in the reality part. Yeah, Wayne, what would you say for you, like personally speaks to you in Slumdog Millionaire? What personally speaks to me? Well, you know, again, um, just on a, a low level, again, I just find it so interesting the way that it's put together. It's a story itself. But it is that youthful perseverance that you get from from early on in the movie, and it follows all the way through. And it starts as that youthful, and it still even continues as youthful as they're growing up and getting older. Um, you know, we have to remember that these characters aren't 60 years old at the end of the movie either, right? So they're still young. <laughs> Um, so no matter what the age is, they still have a little bit of that, but it, it's really the, um, you know, again, that, that persistence, that, that constant hope, no matter what's going on that Jamal shows that constant, you know, uh, angle of, of Celine trying to ruin it at every turn, uh, but still getting through that. So, so really that, that general perseverance theme of the movie, I think is really what, what hits me. Makes sense. Yeah. A lot of our movies that we talk on the show come back to this idea of hope. And how, like, even when things seem really, really bad, you know, it always turns around. And I think that's just a real feature of comfort stories in general. The stories that we keep going back to watch and, you know, vicariously live again are because, you know, there is hardship. And then at the end, hope to come out of the hardship. And I think that's what... I love about a lot of the movies we discuss and certainly about this movie because, you know, yeah, these people go through it. They go through really, really tough times that could break someone. Um, and yet they emerge at the end unbroken and, you know, in a situation that is better than anything they could have imagined. Like, I have to imagine that if, you know, Jamal was going about this for a different purpose. It couldn't have worked. It has to be because he went on, who wants to be a millionaire, not for the purpose of winning money, but for the purpose of being seen by Latika so that they could somehow find their way back to each other. That's what made it happen. And that's what is perfect about this. You know, and I'm impressed by the story. Like, I haven't read the book. I'm just making the assumption that it goes along pretty clear, pretty closely with the movie. But the idea of having, like, the game show as this structuring force in the story is so smart. And I love it when when people are doing a story and they do something like that because it just works so well. It's like a puzzle that just falls together perfectly. And I do like that here. It's really interesting too, that we know that Jamal's okay because he's the one telling the story yet at every situation we're like, is his eyes going to get taken out? <laughs> like, What's happening here? So 
even even knowing that he ends up okay physically, we still are concerned for him every time a situation comes up. And I think that's really, you know, amazing as well that they're able to put it together that way. <laughs> that's a really good point. Like the tension could be taken away by the fact that we know he's physically intact at the end, but it never is. Like, I mean, yeah, you're terrified the whole time for these kids because it's so scary what they're going through. Even when he's on the game show, right? You know, you, you know he's going to win. I mean, I've seen it enough times. I should know he's going to win. But again, I'm going back to Neil <laughs> Kapoor and his acting. He makes me feel like, you know, Jamal picked the wrong answer. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yes. just like, oh, my God. He's like, are you sure? It's the you music sure? and You life. don't mean B? You know, you're like, holy it's, shit. It's who wants to be a millionaire, dude. They totally do that. Like, I remember watching the show and the, it would be the first question. It would be the easiest thing ever. Like, everyone knows the answer to this question, but they're still like, are you sure? Is that it? Is that the one? <laughs> and they're like, oh, with that music and the lights. And you're just like, yeah, you're in peril. It seems like, you know, if you don't get the right answer, he's going to pull the lever and drop you into an alligator pit. <laughs> like, you, you're going to die if you don't get this. That's what well, they design it to be like. Anil had said that being on the show as a contestant helped him kind of keep in mind, you know, how, how the organization was and like the feeling of everything like that. So because he had sat in the opposite seat, he knew kind of how to push the right buttons, I guess. So that helped him as well. That's awesome. That's yeah. Neat. And that makes so, so much sense because I mean, I, this is why I've never tried to be on one of these trivia shows. Like I'm, I know a lot of random crap and I'm sure that I would be fine. And I am a horrible opponent to have in Trivial Pursuit in my living room. But if I was in that scenario where, like, these lights are on you and all these people are staring at you and, like, I don't know if I could handle the pressure. <laughs> I think I would choke. No way. You would be great. You would be great. I don't know. It would be so hard. I believe in you. Yeah. I mean, I've said before, like, I am, like, a, a nightmare level opponent at, at playing a game in our house, as John unfortunately well knows. <laughs> You won't even play. You'll just read me the questions. Like, let's just read the questions and you can answer them. <laughs> what I like about this movie, too, is it makes me think about my own life and how so many pieces came together that I never expected. You know, I mean, George is from Mississippi, right? I'm in Massachusetts. You know, we, we met in Worcester because... I had a theater company where we did shows out in Boston, you know, and it was, it was an audition. I you know wasn't what I mean? even like, an actor. I no. just. <laughs> like somebody knew it was my like friend, a friend of yours. Yeah. yeah. Like what? My friend wanted me to be in her senior or in her um, directing seminar play because I make a lot of faces when I talk. <laughs> I you know, I'm like a very like muggy kind of a person. So she wanted me to do that. So I'm like, okay, whatever. And so I ended up doing that. And then she recommended me to your like lighting and tech kind of guy. And he called me and was like, hey, I heard that you do acting. <laughs> you should audition for these plays. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't even know. I, I'm like, I don't, I'm not an actor. I just did this for somebody's class. Well, I'll just do it. Just do it. And I could have not gone. There were like a million reasons I could have not met you. But I did. Yeah. And that is true. It's like life just happens that way. 
And sometimes you're not, you know, you're not planning for this. You're not expecting it. You're just kind of going along and doing your thing. And then, like, the big thing that kind of changes everything about your life happens. And it's crazy. It's like a call from Mike Lagrataria just changes yes. everything. It did. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. So it's like, I, I think about that. Like, you just happen to be there. And I mean, I've had those moments. I'm sure you've had those moments. You just happen to be there. Like, how the hell did that happen? I, that It happens all the time with the people that you find in your life. Like, sometimes you have people in your life because you're born into the family with them, right? Like the brother relationship with Salim and Jamal. Sometimes a little, you know, another person is just standing in the rain and you offer them, you know, shelter, like Logica. So it's like, you know, you meet important people in your life in such weird ways. And in the beginning of, of the film itself, when the boys are running away after their mother gets killed, they run by her. They actually yeah. come back to see her uh, as they're, you know, running away from whoever's, you know, whatever's happening in, in that moment. So they go by her that first time, think nothing of it, just see her standing in the corner. And when they come back, one of them yells, hey, you come with us. So even just that simple, okay, we need to go back, chance encounter kind of thing is what kicks off their whole relationship anyway. That's the fate thing again. That's really cool. I dig it. I dig it. All right. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show as, uh, you know, it was such a good such a good talk about a great movie mm -hmm. and maybe something I wouldn't have thought about to pick myself. No, it's a movie that I like very much. I've watched it many times, but I haven't watched it in many years. So it wasn't something that was in the forefront of my mind. Yeah. And I, I love the idea that, you know, we're on a path and it's good. And I, you know, it, it takes like some of the pressure off of everyday life. Like, Hey, I'm on a path and it's good. All right. All <laughs> well, right. And one of the great things about having guests is that sometimes you guys will pick something that I like, but I wouldn't necessarily have considered a comfort film myself. And that's another thing with this. I don't know if I would have thought of this as a film that is comforting to me, but after we talked about it and watched again and went through the whole thing, I totally can see how this could be a comfort film and be something that you want to watch over and over because it just kind of reinforces the idea that you know everything is going to be okay and that's like a message we all want to hear a lot you know because <laughs> a lot of times things do not feel okay at all um and this movie just kind of is a reminder hey everything's going to be fine everything can work out even when it seems super hopeless and i love that so thanks for coming on thanks for suggesting and thanks for having a talk with us on it Definitely. Thank you guys so much. It was great. I had a blast and uh, it's always good to talk to you. Yeah. yeah, definitely. As I kind of alluded to earlier, we'll be back next week to discuss crime films. Um, yeah. We are kicking it off with Goodfellas mm -hmm. with our guest Christopher Witte um, from Film Folk UK and Book Folk UK. So that was his pick and it's going to kick us off for a whole month of movies about crime. How are they comforting? Mostly because they're amazingly good movies that we just like to watch over and over. So we can't wait to discuss that. I think that's our first Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah. So that's exciting. And uh, we'll get to hear more of your shitty Joe Pesci. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> that's enough reason to tune in, right? My <laughs> shitty Joe Pesci, yeah. You fucking prick, you. <laughs> So join us next week for that. And uh, again, thanks, Wayne, for joining us for Slumdog. 
thanks everybody for tuning in for four weeks of love and romance movies. Hope you enjoyed it. And as always, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody. <laughs>